Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our Bible study and current event study for 6-1707. And this week was very pivotal in regard to the Middle East. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and do another update. There were several things that happened this week in the Middle East that were really earth-shaking. And it's all building toward the same thing. And we're going to be kind of doing a little study on this today. And we're going to be talking about some other uh, issues as well. <clears throat> this is from another uh, news update from Cutting Edge. And it starts out by saying, On one day on Wednesday, June 13th, all three hot spots which Iran has targeted for her strategy of lighting the many fires exploded with blockbuster events. In other words, Iran has been, their strategy has been to light these fires in the Middle East in order to create as much chaos as possible in order to bring about what they're, what they're wanting is called the 13th Imam or the Mohammed Gandhi or I don't know some it's basically the Antichrist is what they're trying to bring about or invoke and they know that that is only going to happen through a lot of bloodshed they've even said that even bloodshed of their own people not as well as, as the others they believe that's how it's all got to happen so on this one day, there was many things that happened that's pointing us toward World War III. And the reason I keep going over this every week, and, and usually it's the first thing I cover, is because, trust me, World War III is going to be the most pivotal thing that's coming down the pike. I mean, we can talk about the National ID card, and we can talk about Homeland Security, and the Patriot Act, and the concentration camps in America, but I'm talking from a biblical perspective. The most major thing that's coming down the road prior to the tribulation is World War III. So this is one of the reasons I keep going over this week after week because it is that important uh, from a scriptural standpoint. So the first thing that happened this week was in Beirut, Lebanon, an anti-Syrian lawmaker was brutally murdered in a huge car bomb. This assassination rocked Lebanon to the core and threatened the survival of the pro-Western Lebanese government. The car bombing bore all the fingerprints of Syrian intelligence, which means that Syria has just upped the ante in her preparation for war with Israel. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about Syria in a second. The second thing that happened in the Gaza Strip, the brutal Palestinian terror group Hamas successfully overthrew the pro-West leader of leader Abbas and the, his Fatah force. Members of Fatah were dragged into the streets, shot dead point blank by the Hamas gunmen. Blood really did flow in the streets of Gaza. Now the battle begins for the West Bank. Now I just when I woke up this morning when the radio came on, it, it said unequivocally and this was just regular uh, well that was a Christian station but they said that uh, Hamas has totally taken over the Gaza Strip which is just one more one more big step toward World War III when that happened. And that happened this week. Now the battle begins in the West Bank, but given the ease of which Hamas conquered Fatah in the Gaza Strip, and given the demonstrable higher quality of the Hamas soldier, which was demonstrated in the Basel Fort, in the battle for the Gaza Strip, Hamas's conquest of the West Bank could prove easier more speedily than anyone could believe. Now again, remember something that, that um, you can listen to some of my past teachings that Israel right now is very much feigning weakness, which is a common tactic of war. They're, they're acting as though they're very weak and inept and their leaders are all inept. But most likely that's actually by design. It's kind of like luring them in. And again, I really get into this a lot further on some of these other teachings. 
The third thing that happened is in Samaria, Iraq, a powerful explosion ripped through two minarets, two minarets off the most reverend shrine of the Shiite Iraq. Immediately enraged Shiites began attacking Sunni mosques in retaliation. The American-installed Shiite government is wobbling toward collapse like never before. The entire Middle East has just lurched strongly forward toward the plain chaos and regional war which the, which the Illuminati has been planning since 1870. 1870 they've been planning this, okay? They're playing three world wars. Um, and so this has been around for a long, long time. This has been a lot of years in the making. And it has to happen according to the Bible. That's what really I go by. In order to produce the final global war, which will produce the Antichrist, their, which will produce their Antichrist on the world scene. In fact, these three explosive events may have just made this regional war inevitable. Now, going a little bit forward with this, uh, Cutting Edge sells a lot of good videos on on this whole Middle East thing, and one of them is called Israel. It's it's entitled Israel, God's timepiece. Because truly, from a biblical perspective, Israel is what you want to be watching right now in order to ascertain um, how close we are you know, to the tribulation and the Antichrist arising and these things. So this week in the Middle East was one of the most dynamic, frightening weeks in the entire history of cutting-edge ministries. Literally, the Middle East is on fire. Syria has taken action which most definitely spells war. This is from Israeli National News from June 15th. And it goes on to say, the Arab media reports Syria making preparations for war with Israel. A Qatari newspaper, Al-Watan, reported Friday that Syria is making concrete preparations for war with Israel, saying that the Syrian government has removed the government and the state archives from the Damascus area. According to the paper, this move indicates preparation for war. Indeed, this one action more clearly demonstrates that Syrian President Assad is really preparing for war than just about any other action he could have taken. Assad has recently moved soldiers and war material up to the borders of Israel and Lebanon. He has already passed, placed Syria on the war footing. Now he is taking steps to ensure that a war with Israel will not destroy Syria's vast holdings of archaeological artifacts. Syria has a lot of historical artifacts to lose should a war with Israel go badly. Damascus is thought of as the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world, according to Wikipedia. Now, that's an interesting point. Let's talk about that a little bit further. This is interesting. Remember, Damascus is the oldest... Uh, the oldest, uh, what were they saying here? The oldest um, city that's that's been uh, actually occupied perpetually, okay, on Earth. So that's that's noteworthy. Now this action is a very huge sign of war. The IDF, which stands for the Israeli Defense Force, is also preparing for war with Syria. The IDF chief of staff, Lieutenant General Gabi has raised the issue numerous times. The IDF is preparing for an escalation on both the Palestinian and the northern fronts. He said bluntly during a speech to the IDF officers training school this year. Jerry Golden, a devout Messianic Jew, told of the general attitude of war building within Israel. He said, quote, We keep hearing that war is imminent this summer with Syria and Hezbollah. Now, again, most of the time the people up at the top know what's going to happen. And what they're going to do is communicate little bits and pieces of that prior to things happening in order to prepare you mentally for what's coming down. 
and when it does happen, it'll be easier to accept. This is what we're, what happens with all the media nowadays. So, he goes on to say, quote, I can tell you this, IDF reservists who have been called up for years are getting dates and orders to show up for a week's training. That tells me volumes on what the IDF is thinking about to happen. So they're really gearing up for war in Israel. I wonder if President Assad's actions in removing serious archaeological treasures are motivated by the, this end-of-the-age prophecy. Now let's read Isaiah 17 verse 1. Because Isaiah 17 verse 1 says, The burden of Damascus. Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city. It shall be a ruinous heap. Now, what they're saying here is that this prophecy... And in, in, in this article it goes on to say, Is this war which shall cause Damascus to become a ruinous heap? As far as, is this going to be fulfilled? Is Damascus getting ready to be wiped off the map? Okay. I can't say for sure, but it is an interesting point to ponder. Okay. Because Damascus, if Syria is the one that, that first initiates war with Israel, no doubt all the other Middle East nations will probably be joining in shorthand. But Syria will be the first one to be attacked. And Damascus being probably the main target. So, it's an interesting point to think about. Now, this next part ties into all this. And this, I think, will kind of show you the importance of why we talk about these the same issue kind of week after week. It's, it'll just kind of reaffirm to you this. It's very interesting. This article goes on to say, Cutting Edge has long maintained that the modern Israeli government, which came into reality... On May 14, 1948, which was kind of like the birth of modern-day Israel, that this that this modern Israeli government, which came into reality on March 14 or May 14, 1948, is illuminist through and through. Meaning, the Illuminati actually put them there. Now, God ordained it. God sanctioned it. But unfortunately, it's kind of like the devil tried to head God off at the pass when it came to Israel. He's like. Well, I know, I mean, the devil knows all of God's prophecies. And many times what God does is basically use the devil to do what he wants to do. And in this case, the devil put a lot of wicked people in high places in regard to the Israeli government. doesn't mean that God didn't ordain it. See, this is why we have to balance when we talk about these types of issues. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in a second. This goes on to say, one only has to study the significance of the reality that Israel's national symbol is the old satanic filthy hexagram, a symbol shown prominently on the current Jewish flag. Now, here's a problem and the dilemma you face as a Christian. If you're one of those Christians that like follow a guy like John Hagee, where they say, oh, oh, Israel can do no wrong, they're, they're all good, they're, everything about them is good, God, they're God's chosen people, all these other things. Well, now, hold on here. Um, there's a lot of problems with Israel in regard to their flag, in regard to the Zionist government they have in place, in regard to their practice of the Kabbalah. Now, those things are not ordained of God. So, we have to be able to reconcile all this together. And, and it's easily reconcilable. Okay, we just have to, like the Bible says, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. A lot of people, you know, you can't even speak out against the flag. And the hexagram on that Israeli flag, in witchcraft, now the hexagram is a six-pointed star, six. Okay? It's a hexagram, meaning hex means curse. Okay? Six-pointed star, hexagram, 
it is the most wicked sign in witchcraft. From what I've been told by occultists, that if you're trying to invoke a demon from another plane of existence, you, you cast a hexagram on the ground. And I believe you can also do this with a pentagram, but a hexagram is even more powerful. It is the most, it's, it's one of the most powerful signs in witchcraft. You cast this on the ground, and this is how you actually can invoke a devil from another plane of existence, okay, in witchcraft. Okay, now again, this isn't something that a normal Christian is going to have an, an idea of, and that may sound a little crazy to them, but I'm talking about witchcraft. This is how they practice their religion. This is their reality, okay, whether you want to believe it or not. And this is how they do things. So, this article goes on to say, we covered this complicated subject. Now, this, this complicated subject they're in reference to is the is this is, is Israeli flag. If you have any doubts on the hexagram, please email me. Now, my email address is drjohnson at the letter i, the letter x, dot netcom, dot com. It's also on the website. If you need to correspond with me by um, postal mail, it's P.O. Box 3885, North Fort Myers, Florida, 33918. And that's Scott Johnson. But, please, if you can, correspond with me by email because... Um, my time is very limited. I'm just getting deluged with requests and questions off these sermons right now. And it's getting it's getting a little bit tougher for me to do everything that I've got to do and still make a living. So uh, pray, pray that, that if the Lord wants me to do this full time, He'll open a door for me. Because it seems as though there's a great need for this. Because <laughs> I'm getting a lot of questions. And they're great questions and a lot of really kind uh uh, kind things that people are saying, and, and I appreciate that. And, and um, if you're out there listening, just you know, the Lord bless you. Uh, but this article goes on, and this this article that is cited here at Cutting Edge is called "The American Jewish Citizen Is Outraged That President Bush Positioned Himself in Front of the Illuminist Protocols of Zion Sybil, the Israeli Flag." Now, again, you would really need to read this article in order to fully comprehend this. I have a whole article that I've compiled on the hexagram. Now, I'm not saying I take credit for the information, but I've compiled this information, and the information is so overwhelming and so documented, just on the hexagram alone. Uh, I believe there's a really good little book written by a guy named O.J. Graham. Not O.J. Simpson, but O.J. Graham. Sorry, little humor there. Um, a guy named O.J. Graham that uh, is entitled The Six-Pointed Star. And if you want to know a, a good study, but to be honest with you, if I forward you this word attachment, it's probably going to be even a little bit more concise and give you every... And it, there's a lot of pictures in this too where you can kind of get a, a feel for it. With Cutting Edge, if I think if you pay like 20 or $25 a year, you can, have, you can have access to all these articles. Now, I'm not working for Cutting Edge, okay? But I'm just saying it would be, it would be worth it to... Um, subscribe to them. It's one of the only ones I do subscribe to. Actually, I pay for them because they've got so much information that is confirming of the Bible on a weekly, sometimes daily basis. And they really are on the cutting edge from what I can see. Now, I don't agree with their stance on the King James Bible. Okay, We, we seriously part ways on that one. But other than that, and that is a gigantic issue, these issues are news issues. I try to keep, when I refer to cutting edge, pretty much to news issues, okay? I don't point people there typically for doctrine and those types of things, okay? So, 
we go a little bit further and it says, before you read any further, we encourage you to read this article thoroughly for it answers many questions of, of how genuine born-again believers should treat this current government in Israel. Okay, now this is important. In other words, Christians should not support this Israeli illuminist government, nor should Christians support the creation of a new temple on the Temple Mount. For the Bible, for the Bible prophecy tells us the next Jewish temple is to be built so that they can do sacrifices, which is an abomination in the sight of God, because Jesus was the Lamb that was with a perfect Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth, as the Bible says. Okay. When he died on the cross, he says, it is finished. The sacrifices were finished with Jesus Christ, okay? Anything more than that is an abomination, okay? We've got whole sects of Christianity. People I know, personally, I mean, I, they, they wouldn't want to come to this my Bible study, that's for sure. But we've got whole sects, we've got whole churches. We've got whole movements in pseudo-Christendom that... Um, are giving money to rebuild the temple. Now, I think their rationale is, well, we know the temple's got to be rebuilt, so we might as well just get it going. So we, and It's almost, most of these people want to get the temple rebuilt because they think they're going to get raptured out and, and everything's going to be fine and dandy with them. Now, again, I normally don't get into rapture issues with the Bible studies. There's too many other breaking current events. I try not to let that one thing be a divisive agent. But their motivation is purely... To escape through the rapture. They actually think that by them giving money to build this temple, the sooner the temple gets built, the sooner the tribulation starts, they're going to get raptured prior to the tribulation, so they're going to avoid any suffering. That's their motivation. It's not because, it's not really, I believe, because of godly intentions. It's more because they want to get out of here quicker. They want to get that jail, get out of jail free card pass. And I think a lot of us are going to have a rude awakening because, you know, the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. I haven't really seen that yet in America. And I haven't really seen the American Christians be tested. And the trial of our faith and all these things that the Bible says, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, that persecution really hasn't, hasn't come to America yet. And I think most of these people that call themselves Christians are going to be the ones that are persecuting the true Christians. If the truth be known, they're going to get on board with Rick Warren and all the New, New World Order boys because the New World Order put all these guys into place, like Rick Warren and all these... Billy Graham's a great example of that. And please, if you have any doubts of me, just email me. I'll get you all the information you need. They are the ones that put President Bush in office, Cheney in office, Billy Graham, Rick Warren, you name it, Schuler. You know, all these guys. If you were the devil, and you're the prince in the power of the air, and you were the ruler of this present day wicked world, okay, now granted, Jesus Christ is on the throne, okay, but the Bible does say evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. If you were the devil, where would you put your, your people? Would you put them in the place of least influence, where they could do like the least amount of damage? Or would you put them maybe at the head of these organizations so that they could do the maximum amount of damage and defile as many people as humanly possible so that the devil ultimately can take as many people as he can to hell then into the lake of fire. Because see, if you really boil it down, if you really want to see where the rubber meets the road, you know what this is about? It's about a battle for the souls of men. That's what really, that's what this whole life is about that we live. If you want to boil everything down to the bottom, you go a thousand years from now, what's going to matter? No, let's go about, let's go about 1,200 years, okay? 
that way I know we're beyond the millennium after they actually get thrown in the lake of fire. All that's going to matter, let's say 1,100 years from now, because I know we don't have another 100 years before the tribulation starts. There's no way. Too many things that are going on that point to this. this could, the, the, World War III could literally happen this week or start. Knowing that, all that's going to matter 1,100 years from now is who's, in, who's burning the lake of fire and who's in heaven. It's all that's really going to matter. I mean, granted, yes, rewards and things of these natures when you're in heaven, they will matter. But the ultimate thing that's going to matter is did you get saved or did you go to hell? Because, I'll tell you what, that's the overriding issue. So, again, you got to understand what the true motivation is behind this ultimately. What's, what's the ultimate objective for Satan? Satan knows he's bound for the lake of fire. Him and his fallen angels and the demons. They know they're bound for the lake of fire. And they're mad about it. And they want to take as many people as possible with them. This is why the Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rules of wickedness in high places, these types of things, okay? So, we go a little bit further, and it says, Rather, Christians should recognize that God allowed the Illuminati to bring Israel back to the land in 1948, in fulfillment of Ezekiel 37.8d. Now, let's just read that real quick. I'm going to read these Bible verses uh, as we go along here. So we can kind of get a flavor for what we're talking about here. And maybe expand on it a little bit more. Because it's, it's nice when you can have a news article and then back it up with scripture. Ezekiel 37, 8. Now this is the vision in the valley of the dry bones. Okay. Which is, is basically representative of the rebirth of Israel. Okay. Now verse... Verse 8 says, And I beheld, lo, and the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Now this is Israel today, as it was made in 1948, but with no Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's many times represented as the breath of life, the, the, you know, the wind, okay? And there's no, there's no breath in Israel today because they're not saved as a nation. Now the Bible says the blindness in part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. Well, why did the Jews get blinded in the first place? Because when they said to Pilate, crucify Jesus Christ, give us Barabbas, the murderer, let his blood, meaning Jesus Christ's blood, be upon us and our children, they basically cursed the whole race for basically, we're looking at about 2,000 years. And if you look at the Jews, how they've been persecuted from pillar to post, look at what happened to them under Hitler's regime, I can't really, it's, it's really pretty tough to say they've been blessed for the last 2,000 years. Let's be realistic here, okay? They, they went back into the old, um, the old things that they learned in Babylon, for the most part. The Jews, when they fled in 70 AD, went back to Babylon, which is where they had come from when Nebuchadnezzar took them in captivity. There they wrote the Babylonian Talmud, which is one of the abomination books that basically it's like rabbinical commentaries. They've got the things like the Midrash, and then they've got the uh, Kabbalah, which is the highest form of Jewish witchcraft and mysticism. This is what their religion is to this day. These... these um, these rabbis have, just like they did in Jesus' day, because Jesus rebuked them for this very thing, that they, they, they've laid weights on men that no man could bear. They've tried to bring them into, into all this bondage, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? They're doing the... It's no different today, okay? It's no different. 
And unfortunately, they brought themselves corporately under a curse when they did this. This is why the Bible says blindness in part is happening to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. Okay? Doesn't mean I think I'm better. Doesn't mean we're supposed to boast against the, the natural branches like it talks about in Romans. Because we are wild olive branches grafted into the vine. That's what the Bible refers to us that are saved. And we're not supposed to, to, to boast against the natural branches, which would theoretically be the Jews. Because Jesus did say, I came to, he came to his own first and his own received him not. Meaning he was a Jew, he came to his own, but his own received him not. So again, let's have balance here when we talk about this whole Jewish thing. Let's not get all radical on the one end or radical on another and, and you know, just virtually condemn every Jew. Okay, we don't want to do that either. And, and we're going to see why we don't want to do that. So, it says here in verse 8 in Ezekiel, there was no breath that was within them. But their eyes are going to be opened. A portion... A, a third of these Jews, a third of the Jews, their eyes will be opened. Okay? Primarily into the tribulation. And we're going to look at that in a second. Okay? And I don't really have time to get into all of this, but I'll read, I'll read a few more verses. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So, I prophesied, and he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Okay, right there. Right there. The whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost, and we are cut off from our parts. Therefore, therefore prophesy, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, and cause you to come up out of your graves, and bring you into the land of Israel. Well, that happened in 1948. Okay. Now it had not happened since 70 AD. Okay, I mean they were driven out at that point. Okay, but he's going to cause them to be brought back in the land of Israel. That happened in 1948. And then it goes on to say in verse 13, and ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you. Oh my! This is when they finally get saved. See, right now, they're like dead men walking. All of us are dead men walking if we're not saved. So when we get saved, it's kind of like being pulled up out of a grave, don't you think? Like that Bible talks about, no, do not forget from the pit, the pit from whence you were dug. Okay? So, again, until you get saved, you're like a dead man walking. You, as, as an unsaved person, you're one breath, one heartbeat away from plunging into hell. You're walking a tightrope. And you don't even know it. It would be better that you did know it because that fear would drive many to probably get saved if they really could comprehend it. But then it says in verse 14, And I shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Well, hold on now. This has got to be when Israel comes in the land. But see, all this hasn't happened yet. Yes, he's placed them in their own land, but the spirit... The Holy Spirit hasn't been put inside them yet. Now, the Bible says blindness in part is happening to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. Now, some of them are saved. Not to say no Jews can get saved. But see, this blindness is still permeating the culture right now. But see, this is what we're looking at here now. We're looking at the Lord putting His Spirit in them and they've already been brought back into the land. Okay? So, it's kind of an um, interesting portion of scripture there. Let's go a little bit further. 
knowledgeable Bible scholars expected Israel to be established in a state of unbelief in Jesus Christ based on this one prophetic verse. Well, the one verse we read prior to this, okay? So this is something that if you had studied your Bible even prior to Israel being formed, you would have been expecting this to happen. And it did happen, praise the Lord. Well, the word of God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. So then it goes on to say, but God has prophetic plans to annihilate these Illuminati Jews and their followers. Please consider the, the significance of Zechariah 13.8. Zechariah 13.8. And it shall come to pass, this is Zechariah 13.8, and it shall come to pass, then all the land, saith the Lord, Two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. Okay, now this is in regard to um, uh, Israel. Okay, I think I read a little bit of this last week too. And it shall come to pass. This is this is definitely to Israel. Okay, it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. Two thirds of Israel. Modern day Jews are prophesied according to the Bible that they're going to die. Now that hasn't happened. Now if this had already happened, you'd say, well it's already been fulfilled. But it hasn't happened yet. And we know these prophecies have to be fulfilled. But a third of them shall be left therein. Oh, doesn't God always preserve a remnant? Well, he's going to preserve a third of the Jews. And I will bring the third part through the fire. Well, isn't that how God always does things? Doesn't He always bring the remnant through the fire? What is the fire? The trial of our faith? Like the Bible talks about in Revelation 3? The refiner's fire you've heard of? The furnace of affliction? As a Christian, you might have experienced some of these things. Okay? What does the fire do? What does the furnace of affliction do? It drives you closer to the Lord. If you're part of the remnant, it, it will drive you closer to the Lord. If you're not of His, if you're not His kid, what it'll do is drive you away from the Lord. Okay? Now, again, I'm not being sanctimonious. I'm just saying this is typically what the fire will do. What the fire does... Think about this. At the judgment seat of Christ, what is the fire going to do? It's going to try our works as either wood, hair, stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. The fire is going to come and try our works to see what they really are. The fire is going to purify them, and it's going to be really show what they are. Okay? And if they're wood, hair, stubble, they're going to be burned up. Well, the fire does the same thing to a believer. The fire will purify a believer... And actually make him shine brighter for the Lord and drive him closer to the Lord. But to an unbeliever, it's going to burn him. It's going to cause him to go away. It's going to—he doesn't want that. Okay. And this is the same thing that's going to happen here with this fire um, that's in reference to. So I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined. Now here's another thing. We're talking about heat here. We're talking about heat, the fire, the silver. Now what do you got to do to refine silver? You got to heat it. Okay, what happens when you heat silver? Well, any impurities will come out of the silver. That's known as dross. Okay, so this is how God deals with us. And it's never fun. It's never fun. Okay, going through the furnace of affliction is not fun. I'm telling you that right now. I've been through it to a certain extent. And I know what that feels like. And it was the most painful thing I've ever been through in my life. But I'll tell you what, it drove me closer to the Lord than I've ever been. I will say that. It didn't make me want to turn my back on Him. If anything, it made me want to cling to Him like a little baby. And I, I mean, that's just me. I'm not trying to say that because I think I'm so Mr. Holy. But it's just, 
a byproduct, I should say. And I, I, I can say I've pretty much been there, uh, at least to a certain extent. I know it could get a lot worse. And then it says, and then I will find them as silver or so fine, and I will try them as gold is tried. Again, you ha how do you try gold? You, you heat it, okay? Burn off any impurities, or separate any impurities. And then it says, they shall call my, they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. Now see, this is what happens when you get right with the Lord. It's like the Bible says in um, Psalm 66, verse 18. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Well, see, right now, for Israel to call upon the Lord, they've got so much iniquity in their heart, God can't hear them. He's got to burn that out first so that, they can, so that the Lord can actually hear their cries, okay? Because if, if, they're, if they're in idolatry and idol worship, and if they're doing this or that, well, how's God really going to hear them? Okay, but the Bible talks about your iniquities have separated yourself from me. The Bible talks about that, I believe, in Isaiah. So our iniquities separate us from God. That's not God's fault. That's our fault, okay, as, as if, if we have that problem. So this is why a lot of times people say, well, pray for this or pray for that. You know, the primary thing that you should be looking at is, is, is the primary question you should be asking is, if you're asking somebody to pray for you, or really, as a Christian self-check, is, will God hear my prayers? I mean, if you've got all kind of stuff and junk in your life, how's God going to hear your prayers? So that's something that rarely preached from the pulpit because it's not popular. Okay, so, since they shall call upon my name, and I will hear them, I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Okay, they're finally going to wake up to this. Uh, so... Okay, so continue. It says, Realizing God is going to allow the Antichrist to kill the current illuminized Israeli leaders and their followers, two-thirds of the population. Now remember, the Bible says, Narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal. Few there be that find it. So a lot of times people say, Well, this is too harsh. I don't believe God. God's a God of love. You would never do this. But the Bible says, Narrow is the way. And few there be that find it. Now that's God's ways. It's not my ways. I don't care if you think that's harsh or not. Your argument is not with me. It's with God. It's with the Word of God. Okay? And I mean, to say that in a mean way, but really that's the reality that we're facing here. Most people are not going to get saved. Does that mean we should sit back and do nothing? No. Okay? But the reality is, is that's the reality. Is very few people are going to actually get saved. Even during the tribulation. Okay, it's not like the whole world's going to get saved here. During the tribulation. Most people are going to take the mark of the beast. They're going to follow the Antichrist. These types of things. But God is going to protect one third of the remnant. Okay, so... This is something that we need to really get in our minds, that he is going to protect a third of the remnant, at least of the Jews. Now again, I don't believe that, that you know, the Jews are the only ones on the face of the planet that are going to be saved, obviously. But these are the ones, the emphasis primarily does go back to the Jew during the tribulation. It doesn't mean that everybody, God doesn't care about everybody else. But again, remember, blindness in part is happening to the Jew when, until the fullness of the Gentile come in. So when the fullness of the Gentile, when the last Gentile gets saved in God's eyes, and he deems that so, then this blindness is going to start being lifted off the Jews. The emphasis is going to start going back to the Jew. This is why many times I'm saying, okay, let's watch the Middle East, because truly that is God's timepiece. We just have to watch it with balance. We have to watch it with biblical balance. Okay? And again, I'm not saying that other people are not going to get saved. I'm just saying the emphasis is going to start going back to the Jew. The emphasis had been on the Jew 
for literally thousands of years uh, up until the, when they were created. And then it came off the Jew when, you know, all these things happened around the crucifixion of Jesus and then afterward. And then Paul finally got to a point and said, from this point, thenceforth, I'm going to go to the Gentile. Okay? From that point on, the emphasis has been more on the Gentile. Praise God. In His mercy, we have this opportunity to get saved through these, you know, a couple thousand years. Now the emphasis is going to start going back to the Jew during the tribulation. This is kind of the biblical order of things. Okay? Okay, so continuing, he's going to protect a third of his remnant so that when Jesus Christ returns the second time, he returns to an Israel who will recognize him as their Messiah. Okay? Now, again, if we go to Zechariah 12.10... Zechariah 12.10 reads now this is the spirit poured out um, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem now we just read this last week in the last study we did and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications now this is in reference to the Jews many people in today's Christian and this is a part of what they call British Israelism. They believe that all the promises that were to the Jews now just apply to, you know, like the American Christians or what I, you know, they're trying to spiritualize everything away. They're trying to justify that, you know, nothing's ever going to go back to the Jews. This is the house of David, okay? And it's very specific in that regard. But I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. Okay, again, now, what's going to happen? The Jews are going to look upon Jesus Christ who they pierced. Okay? The Bible says that. Okay, now, they had the option. They could have taken Jesus Christ. Pilate did give them that option. You, you could say, oh, it was wicked old Pilate. Well, now, hold on. Pilate was a pawn. Pilate was pressured to do this. Now, he said, you know, I'm innocent of this this man's blood. Now, I wouldn't go that far either. Okay? But, the fact remains is that the Jews had the option to either take Jesus Christ or Barabbas. They were the ones that put him there in the first place where he was accused. And they said, crucify Jesus Christ, give us Barabbas, the murderer. Well, I'm sorry. That did happen according to the Bible. So it says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Well, that can't be true because the Roman centurion pierced Jesus Christ when it was done. Yeah, but who put the Roman centurion in the place to pierce him? I mean, if it wasn't for the Jews and all this uprising and all these other things, then Jesus would have never been on the cross. Now, I understand. Satan was behind this. Satan incited them to do this. Okay, I understand that. So, I'm not just trying to demonize the Jewish race. I'm just trying to have a little bit of perspective here. Okay, because the Bible says, Whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his own son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness for his firstborn. They're going to realize that the Savior of the world, the one that they had been waiting for, the one that the Bible had prophesied in the Old Testament, they actually put him on the cross and killed him. How would you feel if you finally came to that realization? I think you'd feel pretty bad. Pretty bad. Now again, I'm not saying this because I think I'm better than the Jew. I'm not, I, but I'm just saying, if it was me, I know I'd feel bad. You know, I, I've actually put the one on the cross that, that, that came here to save my soul and, and take me to heaven and offer me eternal life. Pay my sin debt? Wow. 
I mean, give me a better covenant. I don't have to sacrifice rams and, and goats and all this other stuff. I don't got to do this stuff anymore. Wow. I mean, it sounds like a pretty, you know, great thing. Well, they're gonna they're gonna finally see. Their eyes are gonna finally be opened. And then it goes on to say, when Jesus returns the second time, he returns to an Israel who who will recognize him as their Messiah. And that's what we just talked about here. Okay, the Israeli Christians need. The Israel Christians need to support and pray for Israel, for the Israel left after the Antichrist kills the wicked two-thirds of the Jews. Now, God's going to permit that killing to happen, okay? but a lot of it's going to occur through the Antichrist, because God does use the devil to do his bidding so many times in, the, in Scripture. It just happens over and over again. While God preserves one-third of his remnant, this believing remnant will comprise Israel after the unbelievers are killed. This is the believing remnant who will welcome Jesus as he returns. Uh, which is, you know, symbolic of that last verse we just read in Zechariah. Christians must be discerning enough to avoid falling into the trap of thinking we must support this current Israel for it is, for it is in the control of the enemy of our souls. And its leaders are intently moving toward initiating World War III which shall produce the coveted Masonic Messiah of the world scene. Now, I'm a little bit careful here on this, because I also don't think we should go so far as to turn against Israel and not support them as... I mean, I wouldn't want the Arabs to come in there and bomb them to death either. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wanting that at all, okay? The Bible does say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You will prosper, you know, they will prosper to pray for you in these types of things. So we need to be a little careful with all of this, okay? We just need to have the perspective to understand that currently, right now, for the vast majority, most of these people are unsaved and undone. Okay, what we need to really be praying is that their eyes get open and that they get saved, because once they get saved, a lot of other things are going to start to happen. But we know that this, their eyes are probably not going to get open until probably well into the tribulation. Um, so this is kind of the order of things we're looking at here. Now we have covered. Now that we have covered this background, we are ready to consider a current news story, story which clearly indicates the Illuminati satanic roots of Israel's leaders. Now this is amazing. This was just June 13th of this year. This was just a few days ago. Okay, this story was from the Nash, the Israeli National News. Okay, Sh Shimon Peres removed curses before elections. That's what it's entitled. This news story that just ran four days ago is entitled, Simone Perez Removed Curses Before the Elections. Now again, you could say, oh, it doesn't matter what they do, they're, they're of God, they're God's chosen people. The Bible says if ye be Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. They're not of Christ, okay? They may be physical Jews right now, but if they were to die right now, they would go to hell. Okay, they need to be. They got to get to say the same way we do. There's no get out of jail card, free card pass for a Jew. Okay, so the Bible says that if the head is corrupt, the whole body is. If the head is sick, the whole body will be sick. Okay, now Shimon Peres is one of the main people in high government in Israel. Okay, now I, I've read in recent weeks all of the scandals and all the wickedness that's going on in high government in Israel. Now, we don't have anything on that in America. I mean, our, our government is probably more wicked. But, there's a lot of wickedness going on there. This guy is the head of the government. And we're going to see this head is sick. This article goes on to say, on Tuesday night, the night before the presidential elections of the, in the 
in the Kesnet, Vice Premier Shimon Peres visited the tomb of the Tezaki, which is known as the Righteous Man. I, I can't even read these words. I guess they're Jewish words or whatever. But he, anyway, he visited this tomb of this Zadaki Righteous Man in Gavatim. He was joined by a group of rabbis learned in the Kabbalah. Now, hold on. This is a quote I'm reading you. This isn't my opinion. I'm not Mr. Anti-Jewish. Okay? This is a quote from the Israel National News that ran four days ago. He took a group of rabbis learned in the Kabbalah, which is the highest form, one of the highest forms, if not the highest form of witchcraft on earth. Not just in the Jewish, but on earth. The Kabbalah is. Okay? So he, 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 visits, he visits this tomb of, this, of the Tezaki righteous man with a group of rabbis learning the Kabbalah who blessed him, these, these, these basically high-level witches, warlocks, they blessed him with success and recited a series of prayers meant to remove curses from him. How can Satan fight Satan? You're using witchcraft to fight witchcraft. Which is commonly done in witchcraft. I mean, you got somebody who's in the white witchcraft and then somebody who's in the black witchcraft they put curses on the ones in white and then the white ones retaliate with their whatever so it's witchcraft what we're talking about here so this group of rabbis learned in the Kabbalah said a series of prayers meant to remove curses from him this is not doing it biblically any way shape or form they didn't pray for him in a godly way it wasn't any of that no 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 this article goes on to say, quite frankly, my breath was taken away by this bold article. As we explained thoroughly in the critically important presentation shown here, um, and there, he has, a, he has a, um, an article that you can click into that goes into this further. The Kabbalah is simply the committing of the writing of the oral tradition of the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' day, a tradition which originated in Babylon during the 70-year judgment there. Well, I think it even goes back further than that. I think you can go all the way back to Babylon when the Jews were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. And they brought a lot of this Jewish, this, this um, Babylonian mystery religions, and they formed a form of Jewish witchcraft incorporated into this book known as the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah is primarily dealing with the witchcraft, whereas the Talmud is dealing with more of the commentaries. The Talmud and the Midrash are dealing more with the commentaries of the rabbis. It's basically their opinion. And they call Jesus every everything you could imagine. They call Jesus in a profane way. I mean, I wouldn't even repeat it, what they do. In, in the uh, Talmud and, and these types of things. So, they're wicked. These are wicked, wicked books. Okay, so... The Kabbalah is Illuminati through and through, and it has long ago captured the minds of the Israeli leaders. Now again, if the head is sick, the body is going to be sick too. Now again, I understand that, that we as Christians, just because President Bush is demon-possessed of the toenails, okay, doesn't mean that all the Christian remnant are going to be sick. But the problem is, is these people, for the most part, aren't saved in Israel, so it's going to have even more of an effect on them. Because you have a, a totally demonically possessed, unsaved leader that's being le led by rabbis that are versed in the Kabbalah over these people who are following these very same rabbis. So this spirit is going gonna, is gonna to be transferring down and be affecting the whole nation. God must move in judgment to remove this. 
For he has promised that when he restored Israel to her land, they would no longer practice witchcraft as they had done during the Old Testament times. Now let's read Micah 5-11. through 11. Okay, so Micah 5-11-15. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land. And when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him the seven shepherds and the eight principal men, and they shall and they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian, when he shall come into the land, and when he treadeth within our borders. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of the people as the dew from the Lord, and the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for the man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles, in the midst of the people, as a lion among the beasts of the forest, and the young lion among the flocks of the sheep, who, if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth into pieces, and none can deliver. And let's go a little bit further here. And I will, and then in verse twelve it says, "I will cut off the witchcrafts out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. And thy graven images will I also cut off, and." thy standing images out of the midst of thee and thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands and I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee so I will destroy thy cities and I will execute vengeance upon the anger and the fury upon the heathen such as they have not heard okay now God has always as a pattern if a nation is going to be called his he is going to purge that land of witchcraft He's going to purge that land of idolatry. He's going to purge that land of all this junk going on that's going on in Israel right now. It's got to happen. Okay? Now, this is probably not going to fully happen until near the end of the tribulation. But it will happen. Okay? In Israel. And it's, it, you, can, you can go so many places in the, in the Old Testament and, and to see this, this exact pattern. And God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. So it's going to happen again in Israel. Now, Shimon Peres practices the witchcraft of the Kabbalah, as this story proves. But he is not alone, for there are, there are many leaders from 1948 to now, to present, that have been similarly, similarly committed to the Illuminati brand of witchcraft. They have just kept the truth more secret than to allow the stories to appear in print. The, the Illuminous leadership of Israel will soon aid the Masons from Great Britain and the United States in the staging of the final birth pangs of war, World War III, which will then thrust the Masonic Antichrist on the world scene. Only a few years later, the annihilation of these Israeli leaders will occur, just as in Zechariah 13.8-9 foretells. But there is a more incredible irony. Thus, this destruction will occur at the hands of the very Antichrist from which these false Jewish leaders have done so much to bring about. As Jesus foretells us in Matthew 24, 15-21. So in other words, there's a great irony here in um, uh, Matthew 24, 15. Uh, there's a great irony here because these, these Jewish leaders that have been pivotal in bringing about the arisal of this Masonic Antichrist, these people that wanted him to appear, the Antichrist, ironically, is going to be the same one that destroys them. And you know, it's, it's almost like God's giving them over. And, you know, hey, you want to have it your way? You want the Antichrist? Here you go. Here's your... And just see what's going to happen. If we read Matthew 24, 15-21... 
it start, now this is in re- reference to the Great Tribulation. This is when the second half of the three and a half years of the Tribulation begins. Okay? Therefore, now, now this is mid-Tribulation right here. Therefore, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy, standing in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now this is when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple and proclaims himself to be God. This is known as the abomination of desolation in the book of Daniel. And we've talked about this before. And when you see this, this is going to mark the midpoint of the tribulation. Okay, This is when the three and a half year dividing line comes. Now we're going to go into the great tribulation. Antichrist came as a man of peace. He's going to be the, com- the guy that comes out of the ashes of World War III. Oh, I can make peace between... You know, I can make peace in the Middle East between the Jews and the Arabs and everybody else. We're going to sign this covenant. We're going to confirm this covenant for a week. This means seven years. He's going to have this covenant. And at the midpoint of this, he's going to commit the abomination of desolation. Okay? Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, where he's going to stand in the holy place, proclaim himself to be God. Then it's going to really get bad. Okay? Then verse 16 says... Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray of ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For, the, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no shall ever be. This is the great tribulation, ever. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Well, who is the elect? The remnant? Could that be the one-third remnant that, he's gonna, that he promised that he would preserve back in Zechariah? I think so. Okay? So... And then it goes on in verse 23, if, there, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Okay, so that's going to really be, I mean, we're going to be seeing a lot of this very soon when these ascended masters make their appearance, probably in conjunction with either the end of World War III or part of World War III. And these ascended masters are going to go to their respective peoples and say, I am your Christ. I am, I mean, whether Lord Maitreya is going to take credit for everything, I don't really know. But I know that they've got a lot of different Antichrist that could be stepping up to the bat. They are not the antichrists, but they are they are they are one of the ones that are going to say, you know, I am the Christ of these types of things. A lot of them are going to be saying that, okay? But there's only going to be one antichrist. For there shall arise many false Christs, it says it right here, and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Wow. Well, says it right here. This is where we have we have the beginnings of this now with, with the guys like Benny Hinn and these types of guys who supposedly hold these crusades and, you know, all these people get slain in the spirit and all. I, I watched this about a two minute video the other day entitled Let Them Fall and I think it was some secular guy that put it together but, you know, it showed Benny Hinn waving his jacket everywhere and all these people and all, I mean, whole, whole sections of audiences just falling backwards you know, supposedly when he waved his arms. Now that's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. And it's mind control and witchcraft and all the stuff that's going on here. And and I, I, you know, I just don't see how you could be all wrapped up in that stuff and stay wrapped up in it and never come out of it and really be saved. I was in it at one time. But you know what? God led me out of it. 
And I don't understand how somebody, if the Holy Spirit lives inside them, they could just stay in that junk year after year after year when they're living a lie. I, I just, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So anyway, this is this is more confirmation there of, of this uh, part. Now we're going to go a little bit further. It says, events are now occurring in Israel and throughout the world, just as Bible prophecy foretold. Shout this truth to all the unbelievers, urging them to come to Jesus in repentance before the time of grace is passed. I agree. Uh, let's go to Zephaniah 2.2. Okay, now Zephaniah 2.2. I'm just going to read verses 1 to uh, 3. And, and this is entitled in the Bible that I have, The Call to the Remnant in the day of judgment on the nations. Gather yourself together, yea, gather yourself together, O nation not desired. Before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chafe, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Now this is where we are really at in America too. Because that's why the Bible says, Wherefore come out from among them my, my people, and be not partakers of her plagues. Because we can be partakers of her plagues. Okay? Even as a saved person, you can be partakers of her plagues. Okay? Because God will do whatever it takes to get you right with Him if you want His kids. Because the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, He also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards, and a bastard is an illegitimate son. So, if you're His kid, He's going to spank you if you're doing wrong. Then it says in verse 3, it says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth. See, the only ones that can really seek the Lord are the meek. Because if you're proud, now meek does not mean weak. Moses, it says, was the meekest man on earth. Was Moses weak? I would say not. Okay? I would say not. Meek does not mean weak. Meek actually means strong. See, we've got, see God's ways are not our ways. And we've got it all backwards here with stuff. Okay, We're supposed to humble ourselves before the Lord and fear God. Then we can be strong. But if we don't do that, if we don't fear God, who are we going to fear? We're going to fear man. And the Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. So it says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Oh wow! Oh, we're not supposed to judge. What does wrought mean? It means to do. Well, oh, oh, no, we can't do that. Well, hold on, the Bible says, He who is spiritual judgeth all things. Jesus Christ said, Judge righteous judgment. The only time you're not supposed to judge is when you're a hypocrite, and you have a beam in your own eye, and you're trying to see the speck in your brothers. That's the only time we're not supposed to judge. When we are a hypocrite, and we're trying to do the, th the very things that we're accusing others of doing the things that we're doing. That's when we're not supposed to judge. We don't have any right to judge in that regard. And I could show that clearly in Scripture. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought His judgment. Seek righteousness. Seek meekness. Remember I said, pray for humility? Well, I don't really feel... Pray for the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord will bring meekness and humility. I, I pray for the fear of the Lord. Because it will take care of so many other things. If you just have fear of the Lord, just that one attribute alone will take care of so many things. Seek meekness. It may be, it may be, ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Oh me! Well, this has a connotation of protection to me. Well, the Bible says the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord encampeth around about that fear him. Huh. Wow, that sounds like a protective verse there. Huh. Now, the Bible also says in the New Testament, pray that you would be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming on the earth. 
also says pray to be accounted worthy of the first resurrection. Now again, some of these things I can't clearly explain because the Bible says we see through a glass but darkly. Okay, so I would just rather err on the side of safety for my, myself and my own family in the body of Christ praying for meekness, praying for fear of the Lord, praying that we be hidden the day of the Lord's anger, praying that we be not partakers of their plagues, praying that we be separated from the world, that we seek righteousness, that we seek humility. If you want to appropriate the Lord's protection, which anybody who's human is not going to want to go through all the stuff that's coming down the, the pike, then get yourself as right with the Lord now. Seek the Lord when He can be found. Okay? And then there's a very good chance at that point that you're going to not have to suffer or is suffer to the extent that maybe somebody else who's not right with the Lord. Now, I can't, again, it's going to be different for every person, okay? But I'm just trying to give you the scriptural tenets here of if you want to appropriate the Lord's protections, look what the Bible says. Because it's very clear. Now, we could do a whole study on this, on the fear of the Lord and protection and things like that. And, and maybe um, one day we will. But there's many scriptures that point to this. In Proverbs and in Psalms in particular, it's, it's all through there. So, okay, we, we're pretty much done with that, that portion of the study, which is, you know, it's just really important stuff. Now, I had a, uh, sent out an email this week, or evidently, uh, I think it was this one that I did in the Shroud of Turin, and I had a person email me back that said, this, this email, Okay, and I don't give anybody's names. I don't want to rub anybody's nose and stuff, or, or uh, you know. And, and I, I try to, I try to always have these as anonymous letters. I wouldn't want somebody up there putting my name out, you know. Um, but this person emailed me and evidently listened to, I guess, the shot of turn uh, message, and they said, "Dear Mr. Johnson, until now, until now." I appreciated your way of objectively documenting the claims you make. But you will never find an official Catholic doctrine claiming Mary, the mother of Jesus, being a goddess or divine. Oh, is that so? Well, let's, we're going to look at that. I am a Catholic for 47 years. Well, whoa, what a badge of honor there, you know. I am a Catholic for 47 years, and I know the statements of the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. Neither will you find an official statement document saying that you can get an indulgence to sin. That is absurd. Oh, is that so? I'll just refer to this person's name as Joe. I got this and I, I was in disbelief. <laughs> disbelief when I got this one. So I just did a tiny bit of research. Okay. And we're going to find that this is very, very, very easily proven and refuted. The Bible says to rebuke them sharply, that they may be found sound in the faith. Now it also says to go to such an one in a spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. But this is in reference to a Christian that is in air, and you go to that one in a spirit of meekness. I don't really consider this person a Christian. If they're a Catholic, they're not a Christian. You cannot have it both ways. It's impossible. 
you cannot have it, you can't think the seven sacraments and the catechism and praying to idols and purgatory and limbo and all these other false doctrines that are nowhere in the Bible, you can't think that that has anything to do with getting you or appropriating salvation, which is the basis of the Catholic faith. You can't think that and be saved. The Bible says the faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ though. For you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Well, it's the gift of God, not of works. Well, Catholic religion, just like all other religions that are not true Bible-believing Christianity, now based out of the Word of God, all other religions are based on works. You work your way into heaven, or nirvana, or paradise, or whatever you call it in your respective false religions. You can't have it both ways. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other seven sacraments way, truth, and life. There's no other going through Mary way, truth, and life. There's no other going through idols to get to Jesus Christ, the way, truth, and the life. Or taking, or taking you know, the Catholic communion host or water baptism. You could go on and on. You know what the Catholic Church is? I view them as the most... The, I, well, they are. They're the biggest pseudo-Christian cult on earth. See, Hinduism and Buddhism aren't pseudo-Christian. Catholicism, I believe, is much more of an abomination in God's sight because they try to use Jesus Christ in their, in their dogma. That's why I detest Catholicism more than I would ever detest Hinduism or Buddhism or even the Muslim stuff. And I, I detest the Muslim faith. I pray to God their souls be saved if it be possible. Okay, I don't want them to go to hell. I'm not saying that. It's just that Catholicism is using the veneer of Christianity to take more people to hell than any other religion on the planet, and than any other religion on the planet in that particular way. That's why I detest it so much. Proverbs 18.13, I wrote back to this man, and, and the first verse I quoted him was Proverbs 18.13. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, is a, it is a folly and a shame unto him. And then Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And then I said to this man, I said, unfortunately, you don't even know the statements of the Catholic Church. But he says he does because he's a Catholic for 47 years. As though that's some kind of badge of honor. It's a badge of shame. I'm sorry. Why would you, why would you boast in something like this? So it says, please see if you can, and then I said, please see if you can refute the information below and the documentation I've provided you. In 15, now, this is from Wikipedia. This is from a secular dictionary. This isn't, this isn't a dictionary that has a bias against the Catholic Church. Okay? And, and they do document, I believe, fairly well. In 1517, the practice of the Roman Catholic Church in granting indulgences provoked Martin Luther into a watershed event in the history of the Protestant Reformation. Luther's actions were based on what he saw as the abuse of the indulgences. Now, Say, he said here 
that you will never find an official Catholic document, no, no, hold on, neither will you find an official statement document saying you can get an indulgence to sin. Oh, is that so? We're going to take a good look at this. And if you think about it, this was the whole crux of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther nailed those, those what is it, 95 theses on the, on the Catholic Church door or whatever. This started the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther came out of the Catholic Church and, he, and unfortunately brought a lot of baggage with him. But he came out of the Catholic Church and what was the pivotal, what was the linchpin for all that, all that to happen? This whole practice of the indulgences. But this guy's saying that they don't even they don't even have a document saying you can get an indulgence to sin. Yet Martin Luther thought, thought it was so important. It was the whole thing that started the Protestant Reformation. I mean, we're going to look at this a lot further. In other words, indulgences were the pivotal event that triggered the whole Protestant Reformation. And then I've got a, I've got a whole. I, I can email this email to you. You just email me, and I'll email this because see, it provides all the links that you can click into to read about every single thing that I'm talking much further and much more in depth. I don't have time to go into every little doctrine of this today. But here's one thing that that we did that um, I did send to him, and it says indulgences. This this is entitled "Pay Now, Be Saved Later." No, actually, what it should be entitled is "Pay Now, Sin Later." It's the pay-ahead plan on on your sins. Yes, I know I'm going to go out and I'm going to go like murder somebody and I'm going to do all this nasty stuff. And so I'm going to go ahead, kind of pay ahead and pay my sins off ahead of time by giving money to the Catholic Church, and they'll absolve me of all my sins. That black-robed devil that calls himself the priest, he'll absolve me of all my sin. You know, I, I, isn't that an abomination from the pit of hell? It's as though the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't good enough. No, 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 we have to have a black-robed devil absolve us of our sins. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned when you go into the, when you go into the confessional. Now, the Bible says, call no man Father but your Father in heaven. That in and of itself is, is an abomination for the pit of hell and, a, and blasphemy in God's eyes when you call really, really any man Father. Now, I'm not saying, oh, you know, I messed up, I called my dad Father. Okay, you know, listen, God knows your heart, okay? But it is a good practice not to call any man Father but your Heavenly Father in heaven. Bible's very clear on that. So you go into this black-robed devil. He's sitting behind this confessional and, and, you know, with a little barrier in between you. And you can hear his voice and he can hear yours. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been ten days since my last confession. And then you've got to tell this black-robed devil all your sins. You've got you to tell a black-robed devil all your sins. You know what the Catholics used to really like the confessional for? Control. And you know what else they did? It was it was a form of gathering intelligence and recon. Because the, the priests would go back and they would record what they had heard and it would be like the ultimate extortion racket. The ultimate way of blackmailing people. Because, you know, they could go back and they had all this juicy information that they had access to. Don't think they didn't use that to extort people throughout the ages. Okay. Now I'm not saying if you go to the priest now and, and you go, you know, this is they're going to extort you and try to blackmail your bank account. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying that there there have been times in Catholic history where when the real fangs and teeth of the if if the Catholic Church is allowed to rule the world, you better believe they'll do it. But they only do what they can get away with in the time period they're living in. Okay. They're not to the point now where they can get to that point yet where they can do that. Now when all the religions come under the Catholic Church and the Antichrist comes into power, I believe that it's going to get real real bad again. 
you know, hey, they, they were the ones that, you know, had the Inquisition where they killed millions upon millions of people. So, this article goes on to say, Roman clues in her assortment of salvation tickets, her doctrine of indulgences. According to Rome, now, now this is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1994, United States Catholic Conference, Inc., Libra Idastri, Vaticana, page 370, number 1471. Okay, so this man saying, oh, there's, there's no doctrine on indulgences. There's no, oh, there's not? Well, this is an official Catholic doctrine. Just one. Well, let's read a quote. According to Rome, quote, an indulgence is a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. Which the faithful Christian, who is duly disposed, gains under certain prescribed conditions through the action of the church, which, as the minister of redemption, dispenses and applies the authority, the treasury of the satisfactions of the Christ and the saints. Well, isn't that written in nice legalese? Sounds like a stinking attorney wrote that. What does that mean? Well, let's just go through it again. This is from Rome, according to this official Catholic doctrine. An indulgence is a remission. There's only one remission for sins. The blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, the blood that He shed paid our sin debt. Without blood, there is no remission of sin. The Bible says it very clearly. Without blood, well... The only blood that counts anymore is the spotless Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the earth that paid our sin debt. But no, no, no. That blood's not good enough for the Catholic Church. Because this says an indulgence is a remission before God. No, it's not. It's not a stinking remission before God. It's, there, it's an abomination before God. But they're saying it's a remission of sin before God. Of the temporal punishment due to sins. Temporal meaning temporary. The temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. Which the faithful Christian... See, they, they love to refer to themselves as Christians, the Catholics. They're, 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 as, they're as far from a Christian as you can get. Okay? Now, I know the Christian term has been abused and, and all the stuff in the time, day and time we're living in. But from a biblical standpoint, it still should mean a follower of Christ. It still should mean that. Just because it's been perverted, doesn't mean it still shouldn't mean a good thing. I mean, the Bible says they were first called Christians in Antioch. In, in, in the book of Acts. So I don't view that as, as, a, as a bad word. Now, a lot of times people say, well, I just refer to myself as a Bible believer, and that's fine too. I mean, that's, that's great. Probably even better. But I want to be able to use that term in, 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 in a good way. Of course, it's just been so abused and warped. But it says, which the faithful Christian, who is duly disposed, gains under certain prescribed conditions through the action of the church, See, it's, it's the church that absolves your sins. It's, it's the church through their black-robed devils called priests that absolves you of these sins because these priests have the power to forgive sins. Well, that's funny. I thought that only Jesus Christ had that power. Huh. But show me that in the Bible where a man can forgive your sins. 
I, I just I can't find book, chapter, and verse on that one. I'm, I'm just well. The well, they also believe that through the doctrine of, of transubstantiation, that they can actually transform the Catholic communion host and the, and the, and the uh, wine into the actual literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. They actually believe why? Because they have to crucify the Son afresh every time they take the Catholic communion. They want to keep crucifying the Son of God afresh. Well, what do you mean? Why do you stink and think they got Jesus Christ on the cross? He's not on the cross anymore. He came off the cross. And then He went into the tomb. And then He rose the third day. And now He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ever making intercession for the saints. But they always have to have Jesus on the cross, on their crucifixes, He's not on the cross anymore. Or they want to portray Him as baby Jesus in the manger. Or baby Jesus with Mother Mary. Oh me. We're going to talk about Mary here in a second. They want to have Jesus, this poor pitiful person on the cross, or a little baby. Because He's not as intimidating that way. He's more palatable that way. It's an abomination from the pit of hell is what it is. Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. Those crucifixes are an abomination for the pit of hell as well. And holy water. Oh, give me a break on that. They should call it unholy water. Where is holy water in the Bible? But yet I see people going out and they'll go and if they're going to go to a wicked place they always got to bring their, their holy water with them. Give me a break. It's just, you know, it's just one lie after another. It's all Catholicism is. It's repackaged idolatry, witchcraft, and lies. That's all it is. With a veneer of Christianity. I don't view that religion as having any redeeming qualities. Because it doesn't matter if a, a Catholic person lives a wonderful, pious life. They're going to go straight to hell. And whoever they influence, they're probably going to go to hell too. And then let's face it, if you have a Catholic person, the only reason the Catholic Church is... is, is um, is um, pro-life as far as I'm concerned if the truth be known I'm talking at the highest levels the only reason they're pro-life is because they want people to have as big a families as possible so there's more Catholics that's it it's a numbers game it's the same reason the Muslims do the exact same thing I mean there, you don't see a lot of people converting over to be a Muslim I mean who'd want to be in that junk no but if you're born and raised in it's all you ever know you really don't have a choice Now let's go a little bit further. We need to, so we need to burn in purgatory despite of the priest's claim to have the power to forgive our sins. Now purgatory is another Catholic doctrine that says that you've basically got to... See, Jesus' blood he shed, they can't have that being a major doctrine in the Catholic Church. There's got to be all these other ways you've got to earn your way into heaven. Purgatory, limbo, all these things you've got to do. Indulgences. But we got you got to burn the purgatory afterward, and even though the priest claims to have the power to forgive sins, there's no way that you're you're going to buy yourself out of purgatory. Not totally. You you can partially buy your way out. Of, I mean, what asinine, what an asinine religion this is. Yes, indeed, folks. Step right up and get your indulgences right here. Small money, small indulgences. Big money, big indulgences. Rome calls them partial and plenary indulgences. In other words, if you give small money, you get a partial indulgence. But if you give big money, you get a plenary indulgence. How could people be so deluded to believe this? 
I mean, this is incomprehensible to me. But again, it's the spirit that they put themselves under. Yes, folks, as we saw above, now I didn't write this article, but, but this is, I'm going to go, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of sarcasm, but there needs to be sarcasm with this. You know, Jesus was sarcastic. Did you know that? There were many passages where he was sarcastic, particularly to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in the way that he dealt with them. Because they need to be rebuked sharply. They need to be, I mean, sarcasm, the one thing sarcasm does is it shows you how asinine something can be through the sarcasm. I'm not saying we should always go around being sarcastic and, 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 and have a bad attitude about stuff. But sometimes it's appropriate. Yes, folks, as we saw above, according to Rome, God has gone out, God has gone out of the grace and the salvation business, leaving it all to Rome. As for a price, you can get what you need. Catholics would, would be smart to purchase or work for a half dozen or so plenary indulgences, indulgences to keep on hand in case they get by, hit by a bus on their way to confession. So in other words, if you get hit by a bus on the way to confession, at least you got those indulgences. You know, I got that going for me, which is nice. You know, is the attitude. Oh, sorry about that. Sometimes I can't help it. Even if, even if they get to confession, they're going to need this insurance policy. For the right price, you can buy a mass card with a plenary indulgence attached. Catholics generally buy them to use at wakes and funerals and on the death of the anniversary of a loved one. Now, I was just exposed to one of these mass cards. Oh, I don't know. It was probably about four years ago. Um, at this law firm, this one lady that we had worked with when I was, when I was doing personal injury in uh, chiropractic, one of this ladies, her husband had died. She was a real nice lady, but she was a Catholic, and, and one of the ladies I worked with was a Catholic. Well, now, out of the respect for this lady's husband, I went to this this wake, or this mass wake for this Catholic thing. I didn't go to the church part. I just went to the funeral home out of, out of respect to her. And I remember the lady I was working with said she had bought her one of these mass cards and she gave it to her. And it was a card she went, and I think she went to the Catholic Church to buy this card, and she gave it to her. And what it was is because she had bought this card, this, this, this mass card with a plenary indulgence on it, the priest, because she had paid this money, was at, and it had on the card when this mass was going to be said for this for this this her husband that had just died, in order to basically help him get out of purgatory quicker. I didn't even know what was really going on. I I, I didn't really know what it was. I had never heard of it before. Now I did go to a Catholic high school um, when I was, but I didn't get into any of the Catholic stuff. I was a you know, I was basically a heathen when I went to that Catholic high school. I was only going there because my, pa my parents wanted to have me in a private school. And that was considered a good private school. It had nothing to do with it being Catholic. Well, this, this mass card evidently is something that's commonly done. It's like, oh, we got to buy old Herbert out of, out of purgatory a little quicker. We don't want him to suffer too much. So we'll go buy him this mask on. This black-robed devil can go say this mass for him. Catholics generally buy them to use at wakes and at funerals and on the death of an anniversary of a loved one. Well, isn't that special? Show me that in the Bible anywhere. But, see, the Bible's our foundation. And if you start to deviate from the foundation, then, you know, 
There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Then it goes on to say, It once puzzled me why we had to keep on buying mass cards and paying to have masses said for deceased loved ones until a priest informed me that no, he could not assure me that my Aunt Bessie was now out of purgatory. Even though she died 37 years ago. So the safe bet was to keep buying. It's the pay ahead plan, guys! Keep buying because you never know when Aunt Bessie's going to really get out of purgatory. And hey, if she is out of purgatory and you keep buying the mass cards, it's still going to a good cause, right? The Catholic Church, one of the most powerful institutions on the face of the planet, one of the most powerful, they hold more assets and more wealth than you could possibly imagine. you know how many people have died and left all their possessions to the Catholic Church over the years? This is how they've amassed all these riches. So it's better, it's just that you, you want to err on the side of safety. You've heard me say that before. So we want to err on the side of safety and just keep buying these mass cards just in case. You know, you never know, maybe Aunt Bessie had a dark side to her. And maybe, you know, she was going on a three-state killing spree every like four or five years. Or maybe, you know, she was a bad, bad girl on the weekends. And, and we don't know about Aunt, Aunt Bessie's dark side. So we want to keep buying these mass cards just in case. What, what asinine drivel this is. The priest does not have to account for the money he gets for saying the masses. It all goes, it all goes into his own pocket. Oh, it's a good deal for the, for the black robe boys. So why on earth should, should he comfort me? Why on earth should he advise me that one single plenary indulgence was sufficient to spring any soul from purgatory? Well, considering, and, and actually, I don't, I don't get into it in this article, but I actually expanded this article, and I have a whole Catholic study that I'm going to forward. Considering, it's probably conservative that 40 to 45% of all Catholic priests are homosexuals. At least, if not higher. Okay, That's according to their own statistics. 40 to 45% of all Catholic priests are, are homosexuals. That's the kind of guy I want being, you know, the father over me, the black robe devil pseudo-father who's over me, who's, who's most likely a homosexual, or even worse, a pedophile. Well, we've heard of all, all of the stuff that goes on in the Catholic church, churches where, you know, pedophilia is rampant, and they, and they have sex with little boys and little girls at very young ages, but yet nobody tells because, oh, they're the priest. Happens all the time. Hey, it's the fruit of that stinking religion. It's the fruit of that religion. Black robe devils. You know, they're responsible for killing more people during the Inquisitions, like 50 million, I believe. And I have this all documented in this email. Just email me, I'll send it to you. You talk about evil. I can't even imagine the judgment corporately that is going to be on this church and, and, and on the, the people that were in high places. I can't even imagine the blood that's going to be on their hands. I mean, does that mean I think I'm Mr. Per no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I'm being honest here. It, it, it's, it's, I can't even imagine. So, question. Does the subject of indulgences appear in the Bible? The answer is no. Question. Did Jesus, his apostles, and disciples sell indulgences or offer them in exchange for designated works? <laughs> This is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, show me where Jesus went around saying, Oh, pay me for this and I'll, you know, I'll absolve you of your sins. The answer is, you have to be kidding. Show me just one incontrovertible proof 
and dinner is on me. In other words, this guy's basically just show just show me one place in the Bible where indulgences were 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 were, were used by Jesus or the apostles. Question, can you see the entire concept of indulgences as a man-made thing without a shred of biblical support? Absolutely yes. Question, if you still believe in indulgences, can you give just one example where Jesus, his apostles, and his disciples either sold or offer indulgences in exchange for good works to get people out of purgatory? And if you can, please give me the example. And don't quote me some stinking Catholic book like Maccabees or whatever. Quote me out of the Bible. Quote me out of the King James Bible. You can't even find it in the, in the NIV. Or even a Jehovah Witness New World Translation. You can't find it. Question. Can you see the concept of indulgences as really only a money-making scheme that preys on the gullible and the fearful? Exactly. It's all about the money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Question. Now that you know the truth about indulgences, what shall you do about it? That's the end of that little part. Now, this next part, because this guy, remember, he asked me about indulgences. There was no official doctrine on indulgences. And there was, no, there was nothing that ever said Mary was divine. Or that she was a goddess. Okay? Okay, well, let's, let's look at that a little further now. Mary is essential to salvation is the title of this, um, of this article here. Okay, so Mary is essential to salvation. This is from a Roman Catholic apologist. I can't let this opportunity pass without telling you what is now being said by leading Roman Catholic apologists such as Carl Keating. You really have to read this to believe the direction in which Rome seems to be heading. Now this is from a Roman Catholic apologist. This isn't my stinking opinion. Okay? I'm trying to give you actually quotes and doctrine from the Roman Catholic Church so you can understand this isn't my opinion, okay? And I'll forward this to you and there's other links that you can click into that'll take you a lot further. In fact, this other one, this one, at the end of this one article that I just read, it has a section on the confessional, the seven sacraments, grace, indulgences, Mary, the mass, obeying Rome's rules, church membership, submission to Pope, the whole nine yards. You can click in any of these links and read about it further. I didn't really read anything in here I disagree with. I mean, it was pretty solid um, solid uh, information here. And you know, I could find different versions of this so many places. I mean, this isn't like this is some isolated piece of information I'm finding here. I mean, if you do any kind of research, which is what I really encourage people to do, if you have a question about things, do a keyword search on uh, preferably Yahoo. I like Yahoo because Google is very, very much a big brother tool. Now, I'm not saying Yahoo's perfect, but... I've read a lot of stuff about Google that they're very, uh, they're very, very bad working with Big Brother in order to compile databases and stuff like this. If you do a specific keyword search for anything that you're that you're you're in reference to, and particularly if you can put specific phrases in quotes in the keyword search, just do that type of stuff. And you know you could do your own research and find this out on your own, even apart from me. So, this goes on to say, now this is from uh, Carl Keating, a leading Roman Catholic apologist. This quote is that, quote, Mary is the mediatrix of all, of all graces because of her intercession for us in heaven. What this means is that no grace accrues to us without her intercession. Through God's will... Grace is not confirmed on anyone without Mary's cooperation. 
what an abomination from the pit of hell that lie was. Let's read this again. This is from leading Roman Catholic apologist Carl Keating. Oh, but remember, there's no official doctrine on Mary that she's divine or that she's a goddess or whatever. Now, we're going to define what a goddess is. What would a goddess be? Well, wouldn't a goddess be any deity that would require reverence or adoration that you would pray to apart from Jesus Christ? Number one, there's no female deities in the Bible that we're ever supposed to pray to at all. So any female deity would be considered an abomination in the sight of God. In witchcraft, what they're referred to are as goddesses. Or gods would be the male. Okay? He says here in this quote, Mary is the mediatrix. What does that mean? That means the mediator. Now the Bible says there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no other name given in heaven whereby which man must be saved. That's Jesus Christ. It's not Mary. Mary was a sinner just like the rest of us. She actually took a sin offering to the temple. It said it right in the New Testament. Okay, her and Joseph both. They were not perfect human beings. Mary was blessed above all women. I will not argue with that. I love Mary, okay? I can't wait to see her in heaven. But let's keep it confined to heaven. She is doing nothing as far as making intercession for me to Jesus Christ. We are not, there's not one verse, not one shred, shred of scriptural proof to prove that Mary is the mediator between man and Christ Jesus. Now the way they portray Mary, and I've seen this a picture of this in the Boston, uh, the Baltimore Catechism, is Jesus on a throne and he's pounding the throne and he looks real mad and then it shows Mary right next to the throne pleading with him on our behalf. What a lie from the pit of hell that is. Show me that in the Bible. It's not there. But see, this is why the Bible says the traditions of men have made the word of God of none effect. The traditions of men are taking more people to hell than any other thing on the planet, really, through religion, false religion. So it says, Mary is the mediatrix of all graces. Wow, that's pretty bad. That's basically putting her almost above Jesus Christ. She's the mediatrix of all graces? Wow. Wow. I don't hear, and you're not going to hear one thing of Jesus Christ mentioned in this whole quote. Because her intercession, meaning prayer, fervent prayer, for us is in heaven. Show me that in the Bible. Not anywhere. What this means is that no grace accrues. Now, when you have something accrue to you, that means that it's, it's building up in your account. It's building up for you. It's like having a bank account and you're accruing interest. You're building your bank. Okay, well that's what... There's no grace that accrues to us without her intercession. Again, another abomination of life from the pit of hell. Through God's will, grace is not conferred on anyone without Mary's cooperation. Give me a break. You know, if this if this were the case, then then then, then the uh, all of our faiths are in absolute total vain. They're in vain. They're in vain. But that's a lie. So I'm not saying that that's the truth. I'm saying it's a lie. But Jesus' blood paid the sin debt. His death, burial, and resurrection. Our faith in Him, our faith in this, is what saves our souls. Okay? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. There's, no, there's nothing about Mary in the scriptures. 
being co-redemptrix, being essential to our, our, our faith and grace. But see, all Catholicism is, is Babylonian, the Babylonian mystery religions repackaged, where we had Semiramis, Nimrod, and Tammuz. Tammuz being the child, Semiramis being the mother, goddess figure, and Nimrod being the male father figure. All the Catholic religion is is repackaged Babylonian mystery religions where Mary is in place of Semiramis or Diana and Tammuz, baby Jesus is in place of Tammuz. That's how, they, that's how he's at, they're actually portrayed. Okay? It's abomination. Now, uh, this... This quote that I just read was from Catholicism and Fundamentalism, the attack on Romanism by the Bible Christians. Oh! Can you imagine? Oh, the attack on Romanism by Bible Christians. Well, at least they, at least they gave us the right term. I, I, I'll accept that, that label. Yeah, there is an attack. I, yes, I am attacking you. I am, because you're an abomination from the pit of hell, Rome. Everything about your false religion is a stench in God's nostrils. And vengeance is his, saith the Lord. Okay, so I just really wouldn't want to be in your shoes. I really wouldn't want to be in your shoes. But that was that was a direct quote from that. It was from 1980, 1988, Ignatius Press, San Francisco. Uh, so these, they, they were, now this book was bearing both the nil, obstant, and the imprintor official marks of the Roman Catholic Church which designate this book as an acceptable reading for Roman Catholics and as accurately reflecting Roman Catholic doctrine. Hey, this is an official quote. And it's got Rome's official, two official seals of approval. Like the good housekeeping seal of approval? Well, this is the Roman Catholic good housekeeping seal of approval. Got both of them. You know? So... Oh, but you're being... How am I being biased? I'm quoting directly from a Roman Catholicism doctrine. And I find I find it pretty amazing that, that, that the attack on Romanism by Bible Christians. Yeah. You know, you indict yourself with your own mouths. I, I mean, I just let you talk. It's real, real easy to expose this stuff. It's not hard. I mean, you don't got to be a rocket scientist to do this. Mr. Keating, this is the man we were just talking, who just gave this quote. Mr. Keating is speaking of a matter of Roman Catholic doctrine. Can we trust what he says? Consider that his book carries the imprintor and the Nile obstant marks that make it officially approved by the Roman Catholic Church as being free of doctrinal error. What a lie from the pit of hell. This is what happens when you let man come in and, and, and basically take over religion and just basically say whatever he wants to say. You know, he'll always corrupt and pervert things. So the answer is, yes, you can trust that Keating speaks for Rome, at least on doctrinal matters, which this matter surely is. So let's talk about this guy, St. Alphonsus Liguori. Now let us examine the declarations of one of Rome's greatest theologians, St. Alphonsus Liguori. The Roman Catholic citations are from the Glories of Mary by St. Alphaeus Liguori, copyright 1999 by the Society of St. Paul. And then it gives this big skew number after it. Now these are official quotes. Page 21, quote, Listen, exclaims St. Bonaventure, Listen, all you who desire the kingdom of God. Honor the Blessed Virgin Mary, 
and you will find life and eternal salvation. Right from there, stinking. The blessed virgin. See, they always got to portray her as a virgin, too. Well, you know what? After she had Jesus, she had other kids with Joseph. She's, she wasn't a virgin at the end. Sorry, guys. She was, she, you know, I'm sorry, but she wasn't. Now, I'm not saying that in any kind of a reverent way. I'm just being honest. Jesus had brothers. I, did he have sisters? He had brothers and sisters. So, I mean, you know, it says right here, Blessed Virgin Mary, and you will find life in the Find life and eternal salvation. What an, what, a, what an abomination. Let's go to page 37. Quote, The designs by which he is able to dispense his mercy more abundantly to us for discerning, for desiring to redeem the whole human race, he has placed the whole price of redemption in the hands of Mary. This is unstinking believable. The designs by which he is able to dispense his mercy. I believe he's in reference to Jesus here. The designs by which he is able to dispense his mercy more abundantly to us. For the desiring to redeem, for desiring to redeem the whole human race, he has placed the whole price of redemption in the hands of Mary, that she may dispense it at will. Oh, what a stinking! Blasphemous abomination. All of these quotes are. Now remember, this is official Catholic, Catholic, uh, you know, approved doctrine here. Here's another quote from page 37. Oh, my sovereign lady, you are alone, the hope of my salvation. You are alone, alone. That puts her ahead of Jesus Christ. It, it, see, at first they started out. She's the co-redemptrix. But you know, devil, the devil's never going to be satisfied with the status quo. He doesn't want Jesus in the picture at all. Now, she alone, because see, Jesus put it in her hands. Now she alone dispenses it at her will. That's what they're saying. Pages 60 through 61 says, As Mary cooperated in the salvation of mankind with so much love, and at the same time gave such glory to God, so all men through her intercession are to, obtain, are to obtain their salvation. Unbelievable. Rome acknowledges that it is by grace that we are saved. Then she assigns herself as the sole dispenser of that grace via her sacramental system. Rome has now gone a step further from the gospel truth by declaring that no one can receive God's grace without the intervention of Mary and really Mary alone. Jesus is even out of the picture now. Thus Rome is saying quite clearly there is no salvation outside of Mary. While this is the current Roman Catholic doctrine, it is yet to reach the stage of being dogma. Well, Satan's sneaking it in there. Stay tuned, friends. There is a growing groundswell in the Roman Catholic Church to do exactly that. In other words, just to make Mary the, the sole mediator. The sole dispenser of grace. The sole means of salvation. Jesus is out of the picture. That's how bad it's getting. Oh, and then somebody's going to come back to me and say, Oh, no, I've been a Catholic for 47 years and this is not part of their... This is direct quotes from these people. Just because you're, you're, you're black robe devil who gets in front of you every week who's leading you to hell doesn't say this on a weekly basis doesn't mean it's not happening. The devil works in darkness. He's subtle. 
He doesn't. He's not just going to come out with this. It's not going to be in the weekly bulletin in your in your in your Catholic church. It's not going to be that way. There is a growing. Um, there's a growing groundswell in the Roman Catholic Church to do exactly that. I would not be surprised if this addition, additional perversion of the gospel becomes ex cathedra, declaration from Rome. I think ex cathedra means it's basically like it is, it is law, it is finished, it is, it is our dogma within the Roman Catholic Church. And then it says, think of all the implications. Since the Roman Catholics worship Mary, and since the Roman Catholic Church... Now again, the Roman Catholics worship Mary. You're telling me she's not a goddess? I, I don't need, I don't, I don't need a, a, a piece of doctrine that says, yes, Roman, Mary is... They're not going to come out and say she's the, she's the goddess only worship, only worthy of worship. No, they're going to come out and say she's the only way to heaven. She's the only dispenser of grace. She, she, she ever makes intercession for us. And without her intercession, we can't be saved. So we have to go to her and through her and worship her. She's a goddess in their eyes. Okay? They're going to they're gonna insist now, they're going to start insisting that since the Roman Catholic Church insists that they're the only true church, outside of which there's no salvation, I'm afraid we poor Protestants are in big trouble. Now, I'm a, not a Protestant. And if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're really not a Protestant. The Protestants were the ones that were started through Roman Luther that came out of the um, Protestant Reformation in the Catholic Church. And they brought a lot of baggage. And to be quite honest with you, I don't want to be labeled as a Protestant. Why did they call them Protestants? Because they were protesting the Catholic Church. This is where we get Lutherans and Methodists and these types of things. Okay? I'm not a Protestant. I don't want to be a Protestant. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Okay? That's all that I am. Okay? That's the only moniker that I want to have. And, but it says, I'm afraid we poor Protestants are in big trouble. Since we don't accept the authority of Rome and we don't pray or worship dead people, Rome has placed a curse on all of us and we're all destined to hell. Evidently, God is staying out of the fray. According to the doctrines of Rome, God is no longer in the business of grace. Now remember, this is written tongue-in-cheek here. God is no longer in the business of redemption and grace and sanctification, forgiveness. According to Rome, Jesus now takes second place to his mother. Question, has God stopped being God? Answer, somehow I doubt it. What do you think? I kind of like the way this guy writes. Question, does the Bible tell us to turn to Mary for grace or salvation? Answer, no, it does not. But it does tell us to turn to Jesus Christ many times over. Question, is there any record of Jesus, the apostles, or the disciples turning to Mary for salvation? No, not a single word of it. Now let's go a little bit further. This is an article from Cutting Edge. The Virgin Mary's sacred heart receives equal worship to Jesus Christ. Subtitle, Immaculate Heart of Mary. Now you'll always see these, these gross pictures of Mary with like her chest split open and this heart. And it's like these things are pulling back the thing in her chest and you see this heart in there. It's her immaculate heart. It got all these weird stinking doctors. It's, 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 it's morbid. It's macabre is what it is. Remember last week we talked about these guys like St. Ignatius and all the St. Jerome and how they, how they dwelt on having... They actually had skulls and stuff. They used them in worship and liturgical things of this nature. And they always dwelt on death. And, and this is many times how the monks operated in these things. This is a religion of darkness. Of perversion. 
of death. It's only going to lead to death. This is the subtitle is the Immaculate Heart of Mary. It's is is a Catholic doctrine that stresses the perfections which God gave to Mary, the Blessed Virgin, and her holiness, which is unique among men. Since Roman Catholicism teaches that Mary was conceived without sin, Mary is co-redemptrix. Now, how could you? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then it also says, for we are all together as an unclean thing. And all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. So I mean, but she evidently got a get out of jail free card pass on this one. She's, she's, she's sinless perfection, the whole nine yards. Even though she took a sin offering to the temple with Joseph. Okay. Nope, doesn't work that way. But see, they've got to have their, their, their sinless goddess... Just like they had to have it in, in Babylonian times with Semiramis and Tammuz. they got to have that sinless goddess so they can worship it. The Blessed Virgin Mary and Her Holiness, which is unique among... Since Roman Catholicism teaches that Mary was conceived without sin, Mary is co-redemptrix equal with Jesus. Now, actually, again, as we've just seen, it's went beyond co-redemptrix now. No, no, she is the redemptrix. In fact, Jesus, what Jesus has done is put it all in her hands. She dispenses it at her will, according to the, now this official Catholic doctrine. The pseudo-Mary has appeared to thousands of Catholics as an apparition that demands worship. What about all these, all these apparitions, like the Lady of Medjugorje and the Lady of Guadalupe? And, you know, all of this stuff that, that goes on. The, 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 the Lady of Fatima. Well, she's appeared to all these Catholics and she's demanding worship from them and she's telling these people the same things I just read. And then what happens is, is the Catholic Church goes and approves these messages and approves them as being official church dogma or doctrines. See, this is what happens when you start adding to the Word of God. Not only do they have a perverted Bible in the American Standard Version, which ultimately came from the Revised Version, which ultimately became, came from two Catholic uh, perversions, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticanus. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? They've got a corrupt Bible, but they've added to the Word of God. And the Bible says if you add to the Word of God at the end of Revelations, that He'll add to you the plagues that are in this book. If you take away from the, take away from the Word of God, He'll take away your part out of the Book of Life. Well, they've added two and taken away. Done exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees done. They've, they've created a, a system that no man could bear, a, a works-based system that benefits the people up at the top, that extorts money from their clergy, that keeps them in submission and subjection, that keeps them dumbed down. The sheeple people. That's what they are. The sheeple people. The pseudo-Mary has appeared to thousands of Catholics as an apparition that demands worship. The DVD, below's docu- the DVD below documents many of the exact of her exact quotes that have been officially approved by the Catholic Church. Now I have this video. It's called Messages from Heaven. I actually, in this article, I've revamped this email. I will send you this email, and you can watch the whole video online. You don't even have to pay for it. You can watch it right then. Click on the thing. How much easier can I make it for you? 
in this video, she says in these apparitions that are documented, that are officially approved by the Catholic Church, that she says she is the co-redemptrix that has to be worshipped and prayed to in these apparitions. If this isn't goddess worship, I don't know what is. Now, in this thing, I also give you a link that you can go to. You can look at the, the uh, all the stuff that the, the thing... You can even order the video if you want. It's 87 minutes long. But you can actually go up there and watch this. This is one of the nice things about the internet. So much of this stuff is actually online now. You don't even have to pay for it. You can just go up there and uh, and uh, start watching it. You know? So, I mean, I think that's pretty neat. That, that, that we can kind of get into some of these things. Uh, let's go a little bit further here. Okay, I'm going to try to cover a couple more things before we end here. This next article was from um, Nancy Levitt. It's entitled, The Eves of Our Destruction. The E-E-V-S. Okay, now we're going to explain what that means in a second here. Let's begin with a couple of recent details about which you've been told nothing about in America. Department of Homeland Security issued a proposal on March 1st to establish a minimum standard for the real for the state-issued driver's licenses and identification cards in compliance with the Real ID Act of 2005. Now, this is where we all have to have the Real ID card as of May of next year, 2008, which will basically be the forerunner to the Mark of the Beast. The uh, Department of Homeland Security proposal, also Department of Homeland Security will refer to them as, as the DHS, proposed regulations to set standards for states to meet the requirements of the Real ID Act, including security features that must be incorporated in each card. Verification of information provided by applicants to establish their identity and lawful status in the United States. And the physical security standards for all locations where licenses and identification cards are issued. As proposed, a real ID driver's license will be required to access any federal building, board any federally regulated commercial aircraft, or enter nuclear power plants. Because states have difficulty complying before May of 2008, Deadline: The DHS will grant an extension of the compliance deadline until December 31st of 2009. Well, that's good in a way that they're. I guess they're going to. They're they're going to actually have an extension. But what's what would be the only solution is to totally be done away with this thing. Okay, I didn't. I was not aware that the, the Department of Homeland Security says we'll grant an extension of the compliance to December 31st, 2009. So. I don't believe as of May 2008, everybody's going to have to be issued an ID card that day. It's not going to happen. There's no way it's going to happen. Um, logistically speaking, it couldn't. But what they'll probably do is between then and December of 2009, which will give them roughly a, a year and a half, they'll have the, the national ID cards implemented. Unless God intervenes or there's enough public outcry to stop this thing. And if there was enough public outcry, I would still give God the glory for that. Now, to the nuts and bolts of the truth. Introduced by the representative Louis Gutierrez and Jeffrey Flake of Arizona is called the STRIVE Act, which stands for the Security Through Regularized, Immig Regularized Immigration and Vibrant Economy Act of 2007. The STRIVE Act. This act fully a deceiving is, is a deceiving piece of legislation also introduces the EVES proposal, which stands for the Employment Eligibility Verification System 
and the real in the real deal of this act. Now, what they do is they bury all these draconian legislations within other legislations, and they 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 railroad them through Congress or whatever they do, and they get enacted, and we don't even know about it. The Eves proposal would require all people, both citizens and non-citizens, to obtain a to obtain and present newly proposed documents such as social security cards and driver's licenses compliant with the Real ID Act in order to continue working. Imagine that. You gotta have your, your Real ID compliant Eves card in order to even continue working. Oh, now the rubber's really gonna meet the road. It's one thing not to be able to go in a nuclear power plant or board a commercial aircraft. Okay? And, you know, that's one thing. Or, or access federal buildings. That's one thing. But could you imagine if you couldn't work without one? Oh, now the rubber's really going to meet the road. See, there's going to come some point where people are going to start caring about this stuff. But it's going to be when, you know... All I could say is is that human human nature, we tend to be very complacent, especially in America. We're one of the worst. We're, we're one of the worst in America. We're going to start caring at some point about this stuff. We're going to wish that we would have stepped up to the plate maybe started fighting a little bit sooner. But, you know, up until then, let somebody else take care of it. It's not my problem. You know. You know, at... As a Christian, these are things we should be praying about at bare minimum, okay? And I also think we should be voicing our opinion if and when we can, because if we do nothing, all that does is give them the green light to say, oh, the, you know, the sheeple people are ready for, for more control. That's what it tells them. Now, the EVE's data mine, database mining human compliance greater would mean that everyone would have to obtain permission from the government to obtain a job and every time a new job is sought. How disgusting. The employment eligibility verification system would require every employer in the United States to verify the employment eligibility of their workers through the EVES database. The employment eligibility verification system, the EVES, would require every person in America to carry a new and approved biometric social security card containing information about the cardholder such as fingerprints, a retinal scan of your eye, and DNA. Essential for another for another national ID and present a real ID compliant driver's license to qualify for any job or income. See, the real ID is just where it's going to start. They're going to have, they're going to try to control you every, every way you could imagine. Eves also creates another vast federal database to verify the work eligibility of all American citizen job applicants. The system would contain extraordinary personal information on everyone who seeks or holds a job, and all of it keyed into a new biometric social security number. If this bill passes, every time we apply for a job, the, the uh, Department of Homeland Security will determine our eligibility to work in our nation. Oh, great. The Department of Homeland Security, the devils themselves, are going to determine my eligibility to work in this nation? Well, I guarantee you, somebody that's spoken out against the Department of Homeland Security, this wicked government that's installed right now, they're not going to be able to get a job. In fact, that's going to make it easier for them to come and get you and put you in the concentration camps. Because that's what it's coming to. 
in the essence of fact, no one will be able to work in the U.S. without DHS approval. And guess what? This bill forecloses, forecloses judicial review of governmental mistakes. No more, no more judge and jury. No way. It's just their way or the highway. Therefore, if they falsely determine that you are disallowed to earn money, tough beans, starve and weep. Congress, with an emphasis on the con, like a con job, Congress and their federal mandates are working double time to drive the nails into our highly selective slavery. That's what's coming. Selective slavery. About 16,000 employers nationwide are currently and voluntarily participating in the EVES-based pilot program. 16,000 employers are already doing this. And they have a pilot program. They've got to start somewhere. But this federal mandate requires expansion to mandatory use by every American employer which will affect at least 160 million American and non-American workers, all in the name of security. Well, Americans, be secure in knowing that you are without, that you are all but one grade away from destitution, national shunning, and targeted of American designations of the state of treasonous affairs. And one such designation, and one such and once designated as such, I refer you to history, to Halliburton civilian labor camps. Halliburton, the one that Dick Cheney, our good old vice president, was CEO of. Halliburton, they're the ones that are building all the concentration camps. Well, isn't that a stinking coincidence? We are... We are one to two years away from our real ID designations, 12 to 24 months, and only God knows what other legislation will result from America's new parliamentary, parliamentary dictatorship. And not only that, we didn't even mention the North American Union here. That's going to make it even worse. Now tell me again why you vote for Democrat or Republican. And tell me again why Congress is still illegally operational. It's time to group together to support one another. The Amish people aren't so odd after all. We either prepare ourselves to live as slaves. Now again, I'm not condoning the Amish religion. This is what she said. Okay. But they do have a good concept as far as banding together. Okay. Which really is a scriptural thing because that's what they did in Acts. The Amish people, uh, then it says, We either prepare ourselves to live as slaves within this un-American parliamentary grid, or we must gather our talents, skills, and the determination to refuse it and live according to our efforts, our beliefs, and our choices. The line is drawn, I'll bet we did not draw the treasonous line, minus the fact that we set back and allowed it to become our leadership. It's time to replan our futures together. Well, I don't, I don't take credit, I don't take the blame for... for putting this leadership in office because the, the voting process in this country is totally rigged. Just go to votescam.com www.votescam.com Alex Collier was the guy that started that site. He exposed, blew the lid off everything. They killed him as a result of this. He was assassinated, but his website's still going, I believe, via his daughter. And that's just one of the other things. I mean, you, you could just do any kind of keyword search to find how these voting machines are totally, the software in them are totally rigged. They can manipulate it any way they want. HBO, HBO, home box office had a whole documentary documenting how rigged the voting process is in America. And they're working for the bad guys. But see, the bad guys will let people like HBO and then put this stuff out to see if there's any public outcry. If there's no public outcry, then they say, ah, well, we're ready to implement stuff more even further because, you know, hey, 
they're not doing, the sheeple people are, are shutting their mouths, so we're not going to, we're just going to basically go ahead further with our plans. Okay, and then I'm going to, I'm going to end with a short story here. This is a kind of a neat story. Uh, many years ago, I heard about an American soldier, now this is from, I don't know, some daily success thing here. Uh, many years ago, I heard about a story about an American soldier in World War II who was in the jungle trail when he suddenly found himself surrounded by the enemy. They motioned for him to put his hands in the air and march toward their camp. The soldier was a committed Christian and wanted to introduce these men to Jesus, so he started singing a hymn. Oh man, God bless him. They suddenly stopped and asked him, are you a Christian? He said, yes. Yes, I am. Then they said, so are we. Now this would be rare. They replied, so when the American asked how they had become Christians, they explained that it was through the work of a certain missionary. The soldier exclaimed, my church supports that missionary. For many years I have prayed for him and his work. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now see, this is the God I serve. This is, this is Jesus Christ. This is the God I serve that can do things like this. This is the mindset we need to put ourselves in as Christians going into the horrific times we're going, in, we're going to be going into. We need to understand that God can provide for all our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. That we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. The greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Okay, We need to have that faith to believe that God can intervene and preserve that remnant. Okay, no, no matter what we face, it doesn't matter because God can still give us the grace to get through it. When the American asked, uh, then it goes on to say, there was an immediate bonding between these men, and instead of taking the American soldier as a prisoner of war, the other soldiers decided to return him to the American camp. Unbelievable! Can you imagine the astonishment when a single soldier came out of the jungle with a whole group of enemy soldiers? He was decorated for bravery, but all the real credit was due to his obedience to pray for all people. Well, really, all the credit was really due to the Lord Jesus Christ who intervened in that situation and did that. Um, and then 1 Timothy 2, 1-3 says, I exhort therefore that first... Well, hold on, let's read... The, I don't think this is King James. So let's read 1 Timothy 2, 1-3. 1 Timothy 2, 1-3. And that reads, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, how, how many Christians are praying that for themselves? A quiet and peaceful life? Oh no, they got to have it the Rick Warren way. You know, you got to have it all. We're going to have it on this life and the other life. No, you're not. You're going to have it one way or the other. And then the Bible says in verse 3, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Oh, this is appropriate. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So, in any way... That this is confirmation of what we were just talking about Mary this article goes on to say why does God want us to pray for all people it is because he created each person he loves each one so much that he sent Christ to die for them and this is true okay but and the Bible says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked but this is all some people this is all some pastors dwell on oh God's a God of love he'll take you you know whatever you do you know it doesn't matter you know these types of things and the Bible says you know 
except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay, these these are things that, that are very important. It's not talked about repentance. It's not talked about living holy. It's not talked about that if you really get saved, there should be there should be a change that takes place. You know these types of things. In fact, he patiently delays his return because he's not willing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance. That is true. That's one of the reasons he does delay his return because he knows there's people that need to be saved that will be saved because he knows the beginning from the end. We must recognize that reaching all people for Christ is a spiritual battle and we must pray for them. Now see, that's good because we must recognize that it is a spiritual battle and that through prayer, through the wooing of the Holy Spirit, that's how people get saved, ultimately. And through through sowing seeds. Some seed fall on good ground, some seed fall on stony ground, some seed fall on dry places. But the point is, is are you putting out the seed? That's why I like putting out tracts. You know, and putting up these messages and things of that nature. Uh, because in a way, it's like putting out seed. Also, we need to pray for those who are in positions of authority so that they will allow God's word to be preached. Now, most people that are in authority are so demonically infested and taken over. doesn't mean we shouldn't still pray for them. But, the fact remains is most of these people in high government are generational Luciferians. They have no intention of ever getting saved, ever. Okay, this is their, their religion. They're beyond demon-possessed to the toenails. I'm not saying God couldn't save them. But, you know, God's not going to kick the door down to your heart either. He gives you a free will. Okay? Remember, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man shall open the door to me, I'll come unto him and sup with him. It says that in Revelation 3. So, Jesus is standing at the door and knock. It doesn't say Jesus stands at the door and kicks it in. Forces you to get saved. It doesn't happen that way. You still have a free will. So, remember, godly sorrow leadeth thee to repentance. And also, there also says, goodness, the goodness of the Lord leadeth thee to repentance. So, these are things that, you know, we can incorporate into our prayer life. Um, so, then it says, do we care as God, do we care as God does for these people of the earth? Do our prayers reflect His love for them? Or are we focused merely on our own needs? That's a good Christian self-check. It's very hard not to be focused on your own needs, being in the flesh. Through prayer, let us be co-laborers with Christ in His work around the world and boldly claim the promise of Psalm 2.8. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Well, that is something God said. Okay? Um, Ask of me and I will give thee the inheritance of the heathen through Christ our Lord. So, um, and then it says in Matthew 21.13, It is written, My house shall be called house of prayer. But you, you've made it a den of thieves. Now that's what most of the churches have done. They've, they've turned the house of God into a den of thieves. Okay? Primarily because of the love of money. Because if you think about it, what is a thief motivated through? Money. <laughs> that's what he's motivated through. So I'm going to go ahead and end there. And um, we'll go ahead and close out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us and all your goodness and mercy, Lord God in heaven. I pray, Lord God, for these people listening to this broadcast. I pray, God, that you bless them. I pray if there's any listening that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that you save their souls, Father God, for which you will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I pray, Lord God, whatever it takes to save these people, that you do that, Lord God. Um, God, the sorrow, the goodness of the Lord, if you have to hang them over hell, Lord God, to get them saved, I pray to God you get them saved. For your will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed. That you would cleanse us of presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, Lord. 
that we would remember to put on the full armor of God every day, Lord, that we would seek holiness, Lord, that we would seek to live simple, peaceable lives, Lord, not these complicated lives that the world would have, would throw at us, Lord, that we would forgive those who have sinned against us, Lord, that you would, Lord God, give us the provisions that we need that you would provide for us, Lord, that we would be worthy to escape all the things coming upon the earth, Lord. As you said in your word, Lord God, wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my children. And that, Lord God, we would come out of the world system that we be not partakers of our plagues. I do pray, God, that you would separate your remnant from the world. I pray to God you'd do it now, Lord. I don't want to pray this prayer, Lord God, when it gets bad. I would rather pray it ahead of time, in the name of Jesus Christ, and that for you to separate your remnant now, Lord, so that they would not have to suffer for unrighteousness' sake. I pray, God, you bless the remnant, that you use them mightily, Lord God, for your glory, that through them that you would lead many people to the Lord. And that your name be glorified through the body of Christ, through your remnant, through the people gathered here this day, and once listening to this broadcast. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.